in that moment, I had convinced myself the most logical way to get out of this situation, to not be fighting with your mom and to not be in such a small life is to just end it. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives. We almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors so that more people and more places can feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Of course, I want to thank everybody who's joined me here to talk so openly, so kindly to everybody out there who listens. I really appreciate it. If you want to check out some more stuff we've got going on and get involved or participate in other ways in addition to listening, check the show notes. There you will find all kinds of things, including our membership. We would love your support in that particular way. We could use the help. We've got some exciting things we want to do, and we would love for you to help us do that. And a special thanks. Someone out there, I hope you're listening, gave us a very generous contribution this week. We really appreciate it. Don't know if you want me to use your name, but your initials are IZ. You know who you are. Thanks very much. Please keep in mind, uh, we are talking about suicide in this podcast. Not a fit for everybody. We know that. So take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today I am talking with Alex. Alex lives in New York City and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Alex, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. That's how that's how I roll. I'm okay at things. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. But I think most people would say when you run any kind of meeting, you want to come in with enthusiasm, you want to get the tone, but that's just not how I roll. So are we, we're going to talk a little bit about suicide today. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Casual Monday, I, great way to start off Mental Health Awareness Month. So what, what's happening the other 11 months? I guess we just pretend to ignore it because it doesn't fit our capitalist agenda. We're dropping truth bombs here. Oh, here we go. It really makes me angry when they're like, oh, yeah, we only care about mental health in May. We only care about gay people in June. We only care about suicide in September for like one specific day, even though there's like a whole month and a whole week for it. Uh, I guess we just don't care about the recovery community at all because it's just not cool enough. Who makes the months? Uh, So the months are actually created by different nonprofit organizations and Mm -hmm. the observance days as well, which is like a whole different can of worms. But for the most part, these days and these observance months are founded by nonprofits and interest groups that genuinely want to push forward information and to bring awareness. Mm -hmm. And then the companies, once they see that people are interested in buying products that say like, eat, pray, love, or like every hour is wine hour or whatever, they'll be like, oh yeah, we support mental health. We love it. Like we support self-care. Treat yourself. Buy from us. Right. Alex in New York. 
What part of New York are you in? So I'm in the Forgotten Barrel of Staten Island. It is a very strange place to live. It really is. It's where I found myself. I moved out here within two months of dating my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. We really, really hit it off. And we decided to move in so quickly and on Staten Island because that's where he was raised. He really wanted me to have a relationship with his mother who unfortunately was in rapid decline for stage four breast cancer, which had spread to her bones. So she was never going to make it out alive, unfortunately. And I'm really glad that we did that, even though we were up in like his parents' attic and made like a studio apartment out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because it allowed me to get to know Catherine and to have a really great relationship with her and to be with her for her final moments, which I've always felt that if you love someone, the best thing that you could do for them is to help usher them into the next life. Mm, But you're still on Staten Island. Yeah, I'm still stuck here. You know, I kind of got used to it, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm from the Poconos. I'm used to the suburbs. And, you know, I have a cat. She loves seeing the birds run around on the deck. I think it would be valuable to our listeners to know how it is that our paths crossed because it was not like a lot of other people in that we were introduced by someone we both know. Uh, can you share a little bit? I guess this is my my awkward segue into what you do. So my good friend, Aaron, we've been talking about launching support groups for the Break Free Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that we founded and got our nonprofit status for on December 16th of 2022 which oddly enough was the 20-year anniversary of my dad's death. The the timing was just really serendipitous. And I don't really believe in like fate and all that stuff. But like, that was one moment where I kind of stopped and was like, huh. Uh, We've been talking about launching support groups for the people who will be receiving our scholarships and beyond. So we provide scholarships for individuals who suffer from substance use disorders to attend an inpatient and outpatient program. So all of our board members have gone through the smart recovery facilitator training. And then Aaron was like, hey, when I was doing REBA, I had this really great friend who taught life skills classes and also helped just with really fostering and building up the community. I think you should talk with her. So we had this incredible meeting where I've never thought about offering the types of seminars that she was talking about. Like, regaining confidence after sobriety like Mm. it seems like a no-brainer thing to do but so many people lack that confidence and they don't know where to start and they don't know how to even begin to rebuild them in themselves because of the shame we were talking after our meeting and she was like you know what you should meet my friend sean wellington that's me incredible podcast (laughs) And there's also this really incredible event happening online where you can hear other people sharing their stories. You should definitely attend it. And so two days later, I attended the event (laughs) and then we talked. Now we're kind of here. For people who don't know, the event is actually related to, but not directly connected to this podcast. That's in the world of the personal narrative, narrative story stuff. Just an open mic. You come, you listen to stories, mental health related, I say. I don't know. Yeah, it was cool. That was cool. It worked out the way it did. And with the miracle of technology, I'm not in Staten Island and we can still talk. Yeah, it's wonderful. 
What is your connection to, big question, suicide? I feel like I touch on it in multiple different ways. I am an attempt survivor, even though during the attempt, I'm like, oh yeah, this is totally going to work. But then like after you're like, you can't drown yourself. Like that's not like logical. Is it possible is the question. I don't know. You it's also made me very afraid of water, uh, which stinks because I really enjoy going to the beach. But like anytime I feel water above my neck. I want to talk more about the attempt and what happened around it. But before that, briefly, what are your other connections to suicide you mentioned? My brother, he had five attempts. It, it was all around the time when he had come out and I knew like he had been beat bullied for quite a while but then the bullying kind of stopped after middle school Mm. and then in high school like i was very surprised he had a girlfriend and i was like oh hmm this is different but you know like he's not out he's exploring she's very nice and then they broke up and he he was very sad about it even though i believe he initiated the breakup couple of months later he came out my mother doesn't believe in therapy or really in mental health so she turned to where she always goes for answers which was church so she loaded us into the car very next day to talk to the priest because she would seek out pastoral counseling and grief counseling i don't think she would have taken him if she knew that the priest would allegedly hand him this packet that he allegedly had never read. He was just like, I printed this out. I didn't read it. Here you go. But, uh, you know, just don't act on your gay urges and you won't burn in hell. Uh, you know, cute little yeah, that's, footnote there. Yeah. Super straightforward. Just don't, just don't, just don't do it. Yeah. And then you'll be okay, probably, maybe. And then my brother reads this like 20 page packet and it's just about all the different ways that you're condemned and you're going to burn in hell and you're a horrible person. They have a pamphlet for that? Apparently the Catholic church. Uh, the Catholic yeah. church, they don't fuck around no. with shame. That They are good at shaming. Yeah. It's ingrained in your DNA to feel guilty and shamed over just like really stupid stuff. Like, Oh no, I had the last pancake and I know my mom would have <laughs> liked that. I'm I'm no longer honoring her. I think that's a very good name for a book. Or yeah. maybe subtitle, The Last Pancake. Very deep. So after that meeting, it was his first attempt. I didn't know what to do. I just assumed suicide attempts were people saying that they were going to kill themselves. Because that's how it had been. I was Bye. around a lot of emo kids who were deeply depressed whose sexuality they felt had to be stuffed inside a little box because if you say it then you're a target there's a target on your back it's just better to not say anything than to be your real self you know Pocono Mountains High School Pennsylvania when that happened like I was just like Oh my God. Like, what, what do, what do we do? How do we fix this? And it was so easy for me to almost like forget the fact that I had had an attempt and that I was super depressed and that I was dealing with all this stuff. 
and to just solely focus on him. Work on like, how do I help him? How do I get him better? What do we do? What kind of doctor do we go to? How do I get a therapist? And just figuring all this out because it, it was just too overwhelming for my mom. So I was kind of the brains and she was the transportation because I couldn't drive. And she just kind of begrudgingly went along with it because she hates driving for some reason. I don't know if it was after the first or the second attempt. I mm-hmm. just slept on his floor for like a month right next to his bed mm. and not really slept, just kind of like stayed awake, dissociated and had like anxiety attacks. Thinking right. Like, oh my God, he's going to do it again. What do I do? How old were you at this time? So if he was 16 or 17, I would have been like 21 or 22. Just to be, just to make sure I'm understanding he and ultimately had five attempts. Is, is that what you yeah. said? Is he still with us or is he gone? Yes. He thankfully is still with us. We were able to put together a care team, finally get him a therapist he could relate to, get him a psychiatrist that actually cared and responded to what yeah. he was going through, really understood the bipolar disorder type 2 diagnosis, mm. and treated both the depression and the anxiety alongside each other, so mm. that he wouldn't be going into these manic states where he's either like hyperactive and super happy, and then just horribly depressed, thinking everybody hates him, no one wants to talk to him, and he's better off dead. I think about a couple of things when I hear this type of thing. One, the people that go through that, that don't have anyone in their lives, they're they're going to die. Almost yeah. definitely. Not almost definitely, but they're just, it's so high risk, so difficult. The other thing I think about, and this isn't the knock at all on doctors or therapists, is misdiagnoses. You don't get bipolar right and they're suffering from bipolar. I was able to start recognizing the symptoms of like, oh, he's in a really low state. He's probably going to have an attempt. And so he would be able to like hint at it and almost like, like I knew it would be coming. And what was so frustrating about, I believe like the third to the fifth attempts is that he only did them so that he could see a doctor and be like, Hey, like this medicine is not working. I'm feeling horrible. Then the doctor, it was either, it was probably like the third time when they were like, Oh, like you have bipolar disorder type two. And this is how you're supposed to be treated for it. And for him, what had pushed him to that point is he was just so anxious all the time. And being anxious, it physically takes a toll on you. It is horrible. Your heart is racing. You're breathing heavy. Yeah, you can't can't sleep. You can't function. No. And like just even like daily tests, you got to eat food. How are you doing that? Seriously. Or like if you don't have food, you got to go get it, but you're your body's not working. Your heart's racing. It's not an easy task. I think we overlook some of these things sometimes in just daily living that people tend to take for granted. So, although interesting, I think there are more people that struggle with stuff like that, but they'll never talk about it. Well, because then, then they're going to judge you. Yeah. And then you're going to feel less than. Primal shit. So you'd said that at one point, it might have been his first attempt that you at that point had already attempted. Did I get that right? Yeah. So how old were you when you did the, I believe it was the drowning thing. That wasn't a symbol or a metaphor. That was literal, right? No, that, that was literal. Uh, I was 14 or 15, two or three years after my dad died uh-huh. with colon cancer. And I just really felt like no one really understood me after he passed because we were so close. Things were tough with my mom. We had always thought growing up Catholic, you know, you're born to die. And so I remember being four or five 
and having panic attacks every single night, being afraid to go to sleep because I thought I might die Mm -hmm. because there's no day but today. And so I would pray to God before bed to let me wake up the next morning. And this went on for years. So I had to stop thinking about death and the miracle of the resurrection because that freaked me out. And then when my dad died, I was like, I mean, he's not coming back in three days. What do I do with this? How do I cope with this? There was some support from the school where I was like, oh, hey, talk to your science teacher who lost her dad when she was young. Maybe you could come and talk to like counseling, but like it helped to an extent, but not really. The one thing that helped me the most was my high school band teacher. I wasn't even his student yet when my dad died. I was in sixth grade. And the day that I came back to school, I get called down to the band room and he's sitting there and he's like, hey, let's just jam it out. And we sat and played bass clarinet together for hours. Wow. Nothing. And he always kept up with me. Even today, like I'll reach out to him, let him know how I'm going. Like he really became the father figure I needed. And he did the same for my brother. When my brother was going through his attempts, he would call my brother to his office and they would just hang out. They would jam. He would listen to him. I really feel that he's a big part of the reason why my brother's alive today. Now that man picked the right job. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone became like his child. Like the band was like a huge family. It's one of the best experiences of my life being in the high school symphonic band. I mean, that's where I met all my friends. That's where I started questioning my sexuality and like, am I straight or am I bisexual? Am I just asking for attention if I'm bisexual? And the music helped me to cope with just this deep pit of nothingness inside of me. And so to this day, if I'm having like a really, really bad day, I'll either sew or I'll put on some of the songs that we played together in symphonic band and I'll play along on my bass clarinet. It's easier for me to talk about what my younger brother has gone through than my own mental health because I always have this fear that like if you talk about it, then it's real. If I talk about it, then what if he feels bad or what if he is like afraid? Because, you know, I had that attempt when I was a teenager and it freaked Mm -hmm. me out. I was just like, oh, I I don't want to die. I I don't want to do this. I don't want to fade to nothingness. And most of all, I didn't want my brother to be alone. Mm. Because I knew if I wasn't there, there's potentially a future where he's not around. My mom tried really, really hard after my dad passed. But she suffers from very severe depression, anxiety, and OCD. And I kind of picked up on that as a kid, but I didn't understand it. And it made me really angry. And it caused a lot of dissonance between us and a Mm -hmm. lot of arguing. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think like, I wish she had died instead Mm -hmm. of my dad, because life would have been so much easier with him. Is she alive? Yeah. Is it possible she'll hear this podcast? She doesn't know how to use technology. My mother is the answer, so the very, no. very afraid okay. of technology. If she did hear it and heard what you just said, how do you think she'd react? Oh, I, I'm pretty sure I said it to her okay. a couple Sorry. of times. So I don't really think she'd be surprised. Right. I did not mince words when I was upset because I, I would just lash out. Yeah. So you didn't want to die. I just wanted everything to end. I didn't want 
to be stuck in the Poconos my whole life. I want to get out. I didn't want to hurt anymore. Like in that moment, I had convinced myself the most logical way to get out of this situation, to not be fighting with your mom and to not be in such a small life is to just end it. Because what's the point? There is no point. But then as I'm laying there under the water, I start panicking. And I'm like, why am I panicking? This should be peaceful. This should be serene. Like, (laughs) This is the best way to go if you're going to do it. Mm. And then I start panicking. The feeling of the water around my neck started freaking me out. And then I was like, oh, I can't breathe. But I was like, but no, that's the goal. And then I was like, well, why is this not peaceful? Why is this not, why is this not working out for me? Why is this hard? And so I come up, I'm gasping for air. I think my brother was like knocking on the door and we had had like three bathrooms in the house. Could have gone to any of the other ones. Could have. But you know, it was too much to go down the stairs. One of the lessons uh, that I've learned here uh, is it is typically not easy to end your life. You obviously lived. Just because you lived doesn't mean that things magically get better. Yeah. Like after that, literally every single day, I would tell my mom, I can't wait until I graduate. You will never see me again. I'm going to New York. And when you graduated, you... Uh, I went to college. Okay. <laughs> so I went to Scranton. And All right, you, didn't get it, you didn't make it to New York yet, but we've already given the surprise away because we've introed you. Yeah. So up. basically two years into college, I transferred to the college in my hometown to save money so that yeah. my younger brother could go to the college he wanted to go to, mm-hmm. which was uh, near Philly. Because I knew that that'd be great. He'll be... He'll be away. He'll be free. And then mm-hmm. I, I just started freelancing in the film industry. And that right. was how I finally got into New York. There we go. Yeah. It it was pretty great. I cut contact with my family for around three years. Like I was still in touch with my brother, um, but not really with anyone else because I was having my life. I was in the film industry. I was happy and glamorously like jumping from couch to couch and sleeping on the subway and sleeping in port authority in between gigs and then my brother had his first suicide attempt and i came home just to be clear were you homeless at some point would we consider you homeless or is that the right word anymore what is the right word housing you would call it like homeless because like i had friends couches to go on the port authority is not a friend's couch no it's not I was only there for a few hours and I turned around for another gig and like to go all the way back home to Pennsylvania, like two hours, like that would have been wild. So I was like, I'm just going to sleep in Port Authority and then in seven hours I'll go on set. That makes sense. It makes sense to me. Some people might wonder, but if you're in- I would never do it now. I mean, I guess in a sense I was unhoused. I didn't- Unhoused. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Unhoused. Yeah. That was the one attempt that you are saying, or you said earlier was when you were doing it, it was sincere for lack of better words, but now you look back and not that it wasn't sincere, but you knew it just would never have worked. You didn't have the knowledge. No, it's like stupid kid stuff. When you look back, you're like that, like that wasn't going to work. Sure. But the intention of wanting to not be here is very much real. Yeah. Since that, like in college, I really struggled with suicidal ideation and self-harm. I would burn myself with my iron. Yeah. I really don't like blood. So I tried cutting 
I got really woozy and I fainted at the sight of like a little cut. And so I was like, burning is just better. It perpetuated down this rabbit hole when my brother would have his attempts. And I think that's why I've always been afraid to talk about it because I don't want to talk about how that destroyed my mental health and how it brought back my suicidal ideation and it brought back the panic attacks. I was just not eating because I was, I thought I was in love, but he just thought that we were friends. The smaller I became, the more romantic attention I would get from him. And the more messed up my life was, the more interested in me he became. So it, it was a very unhealthy relationship that went on for like a year and a half. In it, I thought, oh, wow, he's like so supportive. He wants me to be healthy. He wants me to hit like my weight goal. He cares about my brother. Like we organized this thing where we all wrote letters to my brother of encouragement. And I was like, this is such like a great guy. This is who I'm going to end up with. But in reality, it was almost like he had to see my life being a mess to make sense of his own life and to feel fulfillment because he was very depressed and he wasn't happy Mm. with what he was feeling. Yeah, it really wasn't until I fell in love with my current partner Mm. and I realized what love really is. I mean, his family, like to me, that felt like what a family should be. Mm. And it made me really depressed thinking back how I didn't have that. Before my dad passed, it's like, It's in this time capsule of like the perfect American family. And then he passes and my mom can't leave her bed. And I'm having to confront the fact that my mom's not lazy. Like I would say in high school, in middle school, like I was just like, you're so lazy. Why don't you just get a better job? Then we wouldn't have to like Mm -hmm. live off of like the food pantry or like whatever you can scrap together. Like, we could have what all of my other friends have. We wouldn't have to worry about what the next meal is or like the fact that you don't want to cook because you just Mm. don't have the energy to because Mm. you're so depressed. But Mm. to me, it was just like, she's so lazy. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like her. And that became like the driving force of like, well, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to be somebody and I'm going to be anybody but her. Is that working out or is that like, do you have like a different paradigm, different way of thinking about it? I've never thought about it. If it's like working out. I mean, I would say it is. I have a roof over my head now. I really like a home, but I I would also say having to look back on all of this has taught me a lot about my trauma responses, Mm -hmm. how I could have done better. It's the reason why I started the Break Free Foundation because I don't want anyone else to really feel the way that I do. The specific people you're serving with the Break Free Foundation are those affected by addiction, right? As well as individuals who struggle with their mental health and eating disorders and co-occurring disorders. All right. So it's it's much broader than just addiction. I know they all often overlap, obviously. Did you suffer with addiction? No. Uh, I watched my uncle and my step-grandfather struggle with their alcoholism. Uh, They're not in recovery. They've never sought out recovery, but it was the reason why they weren't invited to any family functions, why there was a fight 
uh, when I was like a kid at Thanksgiving. Oh. My uncle has since told me he really wanted to punch my dad in the face and have him fall flat on the ground to have that triumph, which I was like, oh, like, I'm glad we're both adults and can talk about this now. Uh, very uncomfortable hearing that you hated my father because he basically just wanted to get you help and you didn't want help. But seeing that, maybe I was seven or eight, I remember my uncle, he was like crying. And I remember thinking to myself, wait, who is that? And then he had to like remind me that he was my uncle because I hadn't seen him since I was three or four. And he's like, don't be like me. Don't drink anything. Don't mess with anything. Mm. It'll ruin your life. Mm. And then he just left. And that always stuck with me. Like I, I, I never wanted to try anything. Don't drink. You don't drink. No. Well, maybe like a glass of wine every now and then if I'm at like a wedding. Okay. Right. No, that's very healthy. Thinking of it now, like it still breaks my heart. I'm glad that we were able to talk. Like we talked maybe a year ago after I had completely lost touch with my dad's side side of the family because it was too painful for my mom to be in touch Mm -hmm. with. So we were really isolated. Fascinating to talk with people that were part of your life when you were younger as both and you're both adults. Yeah. You know, especially if you're honest about it and really, you know, having a real conversation. It's amazing. I was glad that he was able to admit that he's really depressed and that he wants help for that. Mm. But it was also really sad to hear that he still doesn't think that there's an issue with his drinking. And I know how it's affected my cousins, even though it could be helping you to avoid whatever trauma you've been in your life. Yeah. If you're always stuck in the past, dwelling on that, you can never live in the present. Yeah. And you can't really fully appreciate the people around you that love you and that just want you to be who you are, trauma and all. Do you ever wonder about what your life would be like had your dad not passed away? All the time. One of the things that I reflect on is that if that never happened, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I mm. may have never founded this foundation because I wouldn't have had to struggle at the level mm-hmm. that I did. I wouldn't have had to work five jobs to put myself through college. I wouldn't have had to work three jobs to pay for my younger brother to go through college. It really instilled in me this desire to succeed and to push forward and to be the head of the family. Mm -hmm. Because I had this letter from my dad from his deathbed basically saying, like, take care of everybody. He didn't say that to his then wife? Hmm. And not to my older brother. So it was you. He obviously, obviously it was a reason he said that to you. Yeah. I still have the letter. I look at it every now and then. Wow. And it was interesting too, because when I told my dad's side of the family about the letter and about what he had said, they were like, yeah, I could definitely see why your dad said that because you were always so different from the rest of your family. Mm. And you were the one that always held everything together. So I feel this unique responsibility to my family to making sure that they're okay, that they're healthy, even though some of them are resistant, that they're understanding and addressing their mental health. Mm. By the way, I want to just track back for a second. I tend to bounce around. It could be called the Bounce Around Podcast, but it's not as compelling a title, I don't think. How many people found out about that day in the bathroom 
No one knows. No one knows. No one knows to this day. Yeah. Did, so at that time, you didn't seek a therapist, or are we just not including someone like that, or the band teacher? I didn't even know that that existed. I had no idea that you should even go see a therapist. Mm. I I didn't know what a psychiatrist was. I knew nothing. I yeah. didn't even go and talk to a guidance counselor. I just went about my day. Band teacher didn't know. I didn't tell him no. Mm. I mean, obviously knew you were going through some difficult times, but you didn't know about that. Knew about your dad. That was obviously yeah. Okay. So are you saying that I'm the first person to know? You're the first person to know the full extent of it, yeah. How many people do you think might, in your in your circle or in your life, might hear this, if anyone? Oh, quite a few. Okay, so now more people will know? Yeah, now they'll know. So what, what, why did you choose to talk to me then about this and share something that you've never shared for 20 years? I've really been trying to own the walk your talk. If I'm going to be helping people, putting them on a path to recovery, you need to uncover your own recovery and how you got to where you're at now. And Mm -hmm. the power of your story, even if you think it was just this like weird kid thing you did, you don't know how that could help somebody or how that can make someone realize like, oh, maybe this isn't normal. Maybe I need to get help. You know, I, for a long time, I really see myself as a professional. And I always deeply look and analyze at what I say, what I do, and what I present and put out there. How will Mm -hmm. that affect my career? I remember sitting in on a meeting with a legislator where the CEO of this mental health nonprofit was talking about how she was a suicide survivor. This legislator looked so uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. it seemed to discredit this individual, despite the fact that they have a PhD in the human mind and all of their accomplishments. And it was at that moment that I was like, you know, even if I want to go into politics, seeing someone react that way, it disgusted me to my core. Like it it reminded me, oh, this is why like I want to keep quiet about this because I don't want to lose legitimacy. I don't want to be looked at as the CEO who tried to off herself And now she should be completely discredited. But then I really thought about it. And I was like, why should that discredit you? Being Mm. human and talking about the human experience of the lowest point of your mental health. It should not only not discredit you, it should be the opposite of that. So you're choosing to talk about it and saying, look, this is the deal. And And if it comes back and bites me in the ass in some way, that's just part of it. Yeah, it's why I decided to come out as being bisexual. That's Mm. why I'm talking about suicide attempts. I just want to be my most authentic self because I think it's noble to be able to do that. Because if I'm going to be leading a support group, you're opening up your entire heart and soul to me. How can I in good conscience not reciprocate and be open when I have an experience similar to yours, but I can tell you I was able to thrive I was able to go on and have a wonderful partner and a cat that I love and a home that I love. My younger brother's okay. He's pursuing Mm -hmm. a master's degree right now. And he writes about his mental health experiences because he wants to help people so that they don't have to go through what he did. It's scary to do it, but it's also a healing experience too. 
which is why I've started writing a book, analyzing every single failure of my entire life. What's the book called? Do you have a title? Cog in the Machine. It's a play on words for a publicity firm that I worked at that was the worst five years of my life. You sure you don't want to do Stuck in Staten Island? What about The Last Pancake? I know. It's a cool title. Right now, I'm just writing. Yeah. Uh, I'm just getting it out there. I'm talking about like what I learned from a lifetime of failure and how I got to where I'm at now. That's it. That's an interesting book idea. Must be an interesting process. Parts of it are really painful to like yeah. relive my first big professional failure that for a really long time made me not want to work in the film industry. Thankfully, I'm back in it. I'm working as a costume designer, but it made me have to admit that I do have dyslexia and I do have ADHD and my Mm -hmm. brain does work differently. No matter how badly I want to pretend that I'm normal and like everybody else and that I don't have this. You know, when I was a kid, they put me in special education classes because they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know what to do. No, not not in the middle of America. People don't think of Pennsylvania as, but it is in some parts for sure. In some parts. Philly people are going to be all up in arms on it, but not <laughs> you, Philly. We're not, not you, Philly. Not, Philly. not talking about Philly. Relax with your funky accent. We know, we're fine. Come on. That um, otherism instilled in me this need to be a tryhard, this feeling that everyone knows that I'm not as good as them, that I'm mm-hmm. inferior. And so, I have to be the perfect version of myself in order for them to even give me the time of day. So I became this personality chameleon where I could mold myself into being the perfect friend for each person around me, even though it it wasn't a fulfilling friendship for me. It must be tiring too. It was. It really was. I really, really hated who I was up until I had that reset after my brother's first attempt, because I really had to think, what am I doing with my life? What do I want to do? Just wanting to succeed and make money, that's not enough. That's not a life. And it really, like when I met my partner, he helped me to love myself and to love all the different quirky elements of who I am. I like that word, quirky. Oh, I'm a very quirky person. I own it now. You got to own the quirk. Oh, another title. A little heavy-handed, but I love it. How many people do you have in your life to have difficult conversations with about difficult days or moments or things you're going through? How many people will really listen well? I would say about a dozen. I went from having like a ton of friends to really pulling my Facebook friends list because just because you're friends on Facebook doesn't mean you're real friends. Really forging deep relationships with the people that I hang out with and that I Mm -hmm. talk to and making Mm -hmm. sure that we're on the same page about mental health and the LGBT community and the recovery community. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm really fortunate to have a good close-knit circle of friends and family that I can talk to about anything. Mm. How often do you ideate, if ever? The last time was actually after our very first Fashion Week showcase that we did for Break Free. I thought that I was friends with one of the designers. And unfortunately, they were very dishonest about who they were. And because of that, 
they really lashed out on the day of the show. They called me some words that I would not like to repeat for the whole month after the show. They just basically kept telling me to kill myself, to do what my brother could not do. Wow. That's just a person that was in a lot of pain themselves. That is true. Probably true. Yeah. And I really hope that they got help. Mm. And I hope that they're doing better because I don't think that that worst part of them should define them. I really do think that they're an incredible person who just was going through a really difficult time in their life. I really hope this person somehow hears this. I don't think they will. You never know. They, unlike your mother, probably do know how technology works (laughs) a little. I realize they're probably not stumbling across this podcast. They're going to go listen to Joe Rogan or some true crime. Yeah, and through that, I felt really suicidal. I Mm. had to have an increase in my medication. And I had to really confront that ideation because on the outside, I had everything I could possibly want. I had just been featured in Forbes. I had unveiled a collection that I really believed in that told my younger brother's mental health story. Mm. I, I got a standing ovation. We sold out the entire show well that's hard and yeah i never wanted to do the show again i wanted to run and hide and i just i didn't see a point in any of this i didn't even want to do the september show when when was this happening uh 2022 february 2022 were you with the partner you're with now yeah he dragged me out of bed after i didn't really leave it for a month this is really interesting because you present in a certain way and people hear you and you're so well-spoken and people don't even know how you're dressed, but you're professional. You're doing all these amazing things. And yet this is important because people just like, it's part of the conversation. I don't think we talk about this very much, right? But yet you thought about ending your life. You stayed in bed for a month. This, this isn't me at all um, kind of diluting what you just said. It's just not that common. We, people struggle hard, all kinds of people, all kinds of people to admit that I have depression and anxiety and ADHD and to even seek out getting medicated for it. Yeah. But you know, after you don't leave your room for three months, there's a problem and you yeah. need to act on it, which again was me owning that I need to walk my talk. I need to actually get some help and stop mm-hmm. ignoring what I'm going through and thinking, Oh, like, It's nothing like it's not as bad as what my brother went through. So therefore Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't be selfish and seek Mm -hmm. out help, but it's not selfish. It's just like going to any other doctor. You need to take care of your health. Yeah, of course. You're bringing up some very, very good points of why some people don't. And it's also like you go on my social media and it looks like my life is perfect. I got the guy. I got the cat. I make cute dresses. I have good friends. And yet I disappeared from social media for like a couple of months because I needed to do the work in myself to understand and deconstruct why am I going back to suicidal ideation? Why am I going back to the easy way out? Is that the easy way out? I think that's what everybody says it is. But Mm -hmm. I don't really think it really is because of the path of destruction. That it leaves behind. 
you just asked a question that might have been rhetorical, but you you said, why am I seeking this? Why am I ideating? Or why am I? Th-? Do you have an answer today? I think it's because for me that was oh, if you feel this way, suicide is the logical solution. It's nice to fantasize that it mm. could just go away, like a fairy godmother appears and is like, wow, your life is utter shit right now. Boop, it's all mm. better. This is wonderful. And how and much think, money would you make if you had access and could sell the fairy godmother? Oh my god, it'd be awesome. You'd help people. You'd be a billionaire. I'm just saying, it's help, it's nice to have money. Come on, it does help. Yeah, I, I don't really believe the oh, money doesn't buy happiness because money can buy you the medicine that you need. <laughs> yeah, right. Money buys good healthcare. Yeah, money also buys a therapist. Many people can't afford to see one. Right. Money buys better food. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if you want to eat really well and with not necessarily pesticides everywhere and your shit, that's not really food that you're eating. Hey, I don't even know if such a thing is even available anymore, but that's going to cost money. A lot of money. Farmer's market? Are you kidding me? Do you, do you take medication? I do. I take 65 milligrams of sertraline and 0.1 milligrams of clozapine for ADHD. And you seek therapy? You seek not. You, you you talk to a therapist? I actually graduated from talking with my therapist a couple of months ago. Graduate. And then I, I was working with a career life coach who gave me the courage to start up this nonprofit and to focus on it full time. Uh, because I am afraid of failure. I'm afraid of seeing my bank account dwindle. It makes me very anxious. But I'm really glad that I took that step. And that I've been taking classes to become a recovery coach and a mental health peer and to really focus on more purpose-driven goals. Indeed. Uh, I only have a couple more questions, and I thank you for sharing everything you have. Of course. Far. Do you think, I know you're under 40, that's for damn sure. I'm 32. Are you making it to 40? I think so. I used to think, you know, when you get to like 30 is the end of the world. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then I became 30 and I was like, this mm. isn't bad. And I'm like, oh God, 40 is going to be terrible. But I, oh. I don't really think so. Oh, it's There's fucking so awful. much more life to live. It's the worst out. Don't say that's terrible. <laughs> fucking suck. No, I'm just playing. I, I talked to a lot of people who say would answer that like, don't think so. Maybe it's fascinating to me because maybe that sounds a little morbid, but some people who have attempted, and maybe these are people who have like multiple attempts. I don't know. Uh, they, you know, some like never again, no chance, but others are like, that shit scared me. And I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. I didn't think I was going to do it the first time or the second time. And yeah, so. The motivation is that I feel like I'm living for a greater purpose now. Yeah. And that my life isn't necessarily my own because I have a lot of goals and people that I would like to help. Primarily through your your uh, organization. Yeah, uh, I would really love for us to be able to, in addition to offering support groups, offer life skills classes like cooking and sewing, basic budgeting, and do writers workshops on That's how cool. to tell your story. That's great. Um, and to also have scholarships to see a therapist and a psychiatrist. Is that all through grants? Is that how that works? So it's a combination through grants and the centers that we partner with. Um, There's no exchange of money. Uh, So they will tell us, we can give you 
12 scholarships per year, so one per month, and that person will then go absolutely for free. Clearly meeting a need that is there and not being served. With respect to mental health and suicide and addiction and all of this stuff, shame, is there a one or two myths that you would really like to call bullshit on? The overdose prevent prevention centers are heroin shooting galleries, like Representative Nicole Mollientakis likes to say, and that if you try to kill yourself, you should succeed because if you don't, then you're just crying out for attention. Is crying out for attention a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? No, I don't think so. Okay. Because how do you get help if you don't, if no one's listening? Wow. And I think we don't want you to succeed when you're doing an attempt so that you're still here and you can get the help and then you could share your story maybe on this podcast. Suicide is so repugnant to people, whether they're aware of it or not. I think there's a little part of them that's like, I hope you die. I really believe this. Yeah. I mean, look at what's going on with the overdose crisis where people are like, oh, Mm. should we really care? Like, they got what they deserved. No. It's awful. No one deserves to die from an overdose. They're completely reversible. Don't you want that person to have the potential to recover? The answer is no. I think some people don't. I do. I don't think everybody feels the way you feel. Yeah, I I don't think there's that same level of compassion. And and when you say, like, I support the Safer Consumption Services Act, people look at you like you have three heads. Like, what? You want to bring drugs in and, like, have people take them in the (laughs) middle of, in broad daylight? No, they're not handing them out. They're bringing their own illicit substances, and we're admitting Addiction exists in our society yeah. and inherently mm. always will. Mm. But what they're not acknowledging is that these people are being rehumanized. They don't have to die just because they're addicted to a substance. And 30% of individuals who go to these centers long-term enter into recovery. This is the, maybe the reason why I think it's so important to not just tell your story. It should be noted, and I want my listeners to know this, you don't have one story. This is a bit of a marketing thing where people have your origin story and it's the ones, yeah, you might have an origin meta story, but why I am, I, I, it's so important for me to help people. It's because it's, it's not just tell it, it's if you tell it, craft it and to explore, craft and tell well, yes, that's subjective, of course, more people will listen. Because you said, who's going to listen? Well, tell your story, they'll listen. Tell it well, more will listen. And I don't mean with a little flair. I mean, I mean, there's things that make it so more likely people will uh, stop what they're doing and put their phones down and really pay attention to the end. Yeah. That's some powerful shit. And most people aren't good at it. I, I they're not. So I get, I get. This is where I get amped up because I hear a lot of people in the mental health space telling their stories, and I think, man, I wish I could have an hour with you. Am I sounding like a dick? I might be a dick. I don't think so. so you said when you were uh, 14. What's the point? And now my question for you as we talk here, what is the point? I think the point is to find some a purpose or a reason mm-hmm. for yourself. Because if you're if you're only living for yourself, I don't necessarily think that's a good enough reason to keep going. But I think if you're able to pursue your passions and feel fulfilled 
in whatever that is. For me, that's being of service and helping others and raising awareness about issues that I'm very passionate about. That's my why. That's my driving force. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good why. I would like to think so. Uh, what else would you like to share? The next Free Creed fundraiser will be mm. on September 10th, which is World Suicide Prevention Day, which is the last day of Suicide Prevention Week, which is in uh, Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, which is also National Recovery Month. Wow. Really big month. I believe yeah. it's also the fourth day of New York Fashion Week. So it'll be Sunday, September 10th. And we will be having a live art installation of butterflies where you can write on the butterfly the name of a loved one that you would like to honor who's either a suicide attempt survivor and so or someone no longer with us. And you could also write a letter to your younger self. We're really excited. This will be our fourth showcase. And we really would like to pack it in with as much information about suicide prevention as well as harm reduction measures if you're in active addiction. That's very cool. I'm looking forward to it, to seeing what the designers bring for this season and how they express their advocacy through their fashion. I think when people think about suicide prevention, they'll often think about things like getting good therapy, being on the right medication. What what are a few that come to mind? I'm going to put you on the spot that we might not often think about. So I can only speak from my experience of watching my brother through his attempts and through learning how to recognize those behaviors. Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, like he's a high school teenage boy. So if he's tired and he wants to go take a nap after school, that that's fine. Uh, if he wants to spend long hours online and stay up really late, like he's a teenager, Th- this seems normal. Oh, he's like no longer having dinner with us. Teenager, that that's normal. Oh, wow, he's withdrawing. Oh, you know, he's a teenager. He probably just doesn't want to like share every detail because that could be super exhausting. Oh, that's weird. Like some of the steak knives from the kitchen are missing. Oh, maybe he's like in a teenage knife phase. And then it's like, oh, he's in the hospital for an attempt. And then you look back and you're like, okay, so so he was withdrawing. He has been really depressed. He doesn't have the means or the vocabulary to talk about it. So that's where it's your job to not necessarily draw it out of them because they're going to be resistant. They don't really want to talk about it. They don't really want to acknowledge it. But just letting them know that they're loved and that you're there. I, I told him, you could tell me like anything. Like, I don't care. I don't care if it's your darkest thought or if it's about like a guy that you have a crush on. Like, whatever you want to talk about, we can talk about. Nothing is too heavy. And I think proving that to them yeah. is very important. Because totally. you could say that and then totally. like, oh, I'm too tired. I can't talk right now. Or, oh, Oprah's on. Can't talk right now. At least in my experience, even more common is, oh, let's talk about it. And then, oh, you're not actually that open to what I'm saying here. You're not actually supporting me because I said this thing that you think is very dark. Well, what, I'm not going to come to you anymore, I don't think. Yeah, Which is hard. And it's really hard and people don't I'm learn sorry. how to adjust my reactions when mm. it would be much darker than I thought. Uh, but also understanding that that's venting 
And that isn't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to definitely go act on this right now. Definitely. So glad I shared this. I'm going to go do this right now. Very good point. Venting is venting. And it may often is just that. Yeah. And behaviors like this, like recognizing when the behavior breaks the pattern of their normal and sounding the alarms. Not in a way that scares them, but in a way that you can start introducing, in a sense, harm reduction measures. Right. Where it's like, hey, you're not at band practice today. What's going on? You know, if you don't want to go to band, do you want to? There's this group meeting over at the church, kids around your age. Maybe you could go and talk and make some new friends. And then next thing they know, they're maybe in a support group talking to other people who are going through exactly what they're going through. Or, hey, maybe you should play the game that you really like and go on live and talk to your friends and just have that kind of connection. Yeah. Well, Alex, thanks. I know you're super busy with all the work you're doing. I really appreciate you joining me. Tell your cat and your partner I say hi. I will. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Alex, thanks. Yeah, have a good morning. You too. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Alex up in New York. Thanks, Alex. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Please rate and review this podcast if you listen on Apple. It helps people find it and we want more people to find it. Check the show notes for all kinds of other ways you can get involved or participate, including our membership. And that is all for episode number 168. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.